0: Exodus chapter 30 and we look tonight at various furnishings of the tabernacle once again as we've been taking a while now looking at various parts of the tabernacle Uh, but again as we look at these various furnishings don't tune this out because as we've been seeing through our study in Exodus we've seen how the tabernacle uh, not, not only does it prescribe the way Back in the presence of God, but it all speaks and points to the person of Jesus Christ, whether it be the tabernacle itself or the various furnishings of the tabernacle, and how again it was all just a foreshadowing of the life, the ministry of Jesus Christ. And we'll see some more of those things here tonight. So don't tune it out. I'm glad you guys are here because Exodus is uh, one of those books where, for some people, it can take a lot to kind of get them out, but uh, as we get into it and see, as I trust you've already been blessed through our study so far, that you just see the wonderful picture and, and just the, the fingerprints of God right from you know, early on to foreshadow all that would be fulfilled in and through Jesus Christ. So Exodus 30, chapter, uh, yeah, chapter 30, verse one. Here's what we read. You shall make an altar to burn incense on, and you shall make it of a wood, a cubit shall be its length, and a cubit its width it shall be square, and two cubits shall be its height, its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay its top, its sides all around, and its horns with pure gold, and you shall make for it a moulding of gold all around. Two gold rings you shall make for it under the moulding on both its sides, you shall place them on its two sides, and they will be holders for the poles with which to bear it. You shall make the poles of a wood, and then overlay them with gold, and you shall put it before the veil, that is, before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat, that is over the testimony, where I will meet with you. So we we see here how this altar of incense is sitting there in the tower. This is what that would have looked like. Uh, 18 inches squared around and then about three feet high three feet high made of wood but then it says it's overlaid with pure gold now the wood speaks of humanity the gold speaks of deity again we know that Jesus came to us as perfectly man but completely God so we see the twofold nature of Jesus, the humanity and the deity here in this altar of incense. And the altar is very different than the altar that we were introduced to back in Exodus chapter 27. Remember, that altar was the altar of burnt offering, and that sat outside the tabernacle in the courtyard. It was much larger, and that altar was covered, not in pure gold, but covered in bronze. What's bronze? Uh, a picture of bronze is the metal of judgment. And as we saw here, gold is the metal of deity. So these two altars that you'd walk into the tabernacle courtyard and see, first of all, the altar of, um, the altar of, of judgment or burnt offering. And then as you'd go into the tabernacle, past the, uh, the table of showbread and the, the lampstand, you would come to the altar of incense. These two altars really picture for us the work that's been done for us in and through jesus christ or what's been seen through his two comings right because jesus came in his first coming to do what to redeem mankind he came to give his life uh, uh, as a sacrifice as a ransom for all he bore our sins on the cross and what did he do as that altar judgment pictures he took the judgment for my sin, for your sin, and he bore the judgment of God upon the cross that he hung upon to pay the penalty for our sins. And now, because of the work that Jesus has completed, he's sitting at the right hand of God right now. He's ascended to the Father, and he's ready to come back again and receive us to himself, that where he is, we might be also. What a day that's gonna be in that great reunion, isn't it? But notice this altar of incense, that we're pitching here is not outside the tabernacle. It is right beside the Holy of Holies, it says. The place where God's presence would be most evident. Because notice it says, verse 6 there again, you shall put it before the veil, that's before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat, that's where the testimony, because it's there on the mercy seat that God would meet with them, the very presence of God. And that's where the altar of incense sat, just outside the veil, just right before that ark and that mercy seat there inside the Holy of Holies. Now, interestingly, it says that it was to have that molding of gold all around it in verse three. In verse three, that molding all around, the King James Version says that it's a crown around it. Isn't that interesting? It's a crown. That's fitting because when Jesus comes back, he's not coming again as a a lamb slain for the sins of the world. He's coming back as king, as conqueror, as ruler. He's going to be our reigning savior as he is today. But we're going to see him reigning physically from this world. He's coming back with a crown upon his head. Not a crown of thorns, but a crown that's fit for a king. Continuing on in verse 7, it says there, Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning. When he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer strange incense on it or a burnt offering or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. Verse 10, And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year, he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord so here's Aaron now the the high priest he used to come in says that he's to burn sweet incense on that altar that's why it's called the altar of incense in case you're going hmm interesting name he's gonna be burning incense literally on it and it says every morning and evening incense throughout scripture is a picture of prayer look what we read in Psalm 141 verse 2 let my prayer be set before you as incense we see in revelation 5 8 now when he had taken the scroll the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints revelation 8 verse 3 to 4 then another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. So here the altar of incense is picturing this, this time and place of, of prayer, right? And, and Aaron was to burn incense upon this altar twice daily. A wonderful opportunity for the priests to just come and worship before God, sitting right there. Because remember, past that veil, the, the, the altar of incense sat right at the veil, just past that veil, the Holy of Holies that only the high priest could go into only one day of the year. But it's there that God would meet with them there on the mercy seat. And so here they are now in closest proximity that they could have, and they're just worshiping before God. Hey, you know what? We have the same privilege today, my friends. We can come before a holy God and pray, commune, and fellowship, With the almighty god do you do you recognize the extreme privilege and invitation that we've been given to come and just spend time with the lord never is the line busy there's no service where suddenly you know the call gets dropped it's continually open he is there always and there are wonderful things that take place when we pray we don't always even need to have a lot of faith in prayer remember in acts chapter 12 when peter was put in prison and the church is gathered and they're praying peter gets released by an angel he goes shows up at the house and he knocks on the door Somebody comes to the door and he's like hey it's peter they're like what no (laughs) we're peter's in prison and we're praying for him right now go away stop and they're all like maybe it's his angel maybe you better check it out they're all like praying for peter to be released he shows up at the door and they're like nope can't be peter he's in prison what are you praying for right so you don't even need a lot of faith and prayer. We just need to spend time with the Lord and bring these things to the Lord. See, God loves to see his people pray. And he's invited us to do that. Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and I'll hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So prayer is so vital for the believer. And, and notice again this was to be a, a perpetual incense it says in verse 8 a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations in other words this was to be offered continually there was constantly to be incense being offered up before the Lord 1st Thessalonians five seventeen says to do what to pray without what ceasing pray without ceasing pray continuously now you read that and you think how am i supposed to do that you know i've got things to do i've got responsibilities to uphold but praying without ceasing isn't about stopping all activity it's not a a posture of prayer that we need to stop and do it's simply an attitude that we're to have of prayer in other words we're to remain in this constant consciousness of the presence of God that's with us. That wherever we are, we're never removed from God. That we can be praying and communing with Him continuously or ceaselessly. See, prayer is not just about you know bringing your grocery shopping list to the Lord, saying, "Here's my request, any this, any that," and going through your list. It's about just spending time with God. That's the value of prayer. It's just to commune with him, to know more, just to share your heart with him, just to take time and and hear from him, just to be with him in fellowship and communion. That's the value of prayer. And we're called to do it without ceasing. And this altar of incense is a picture of it just being offered continuously through the generations. That's God's invitation. And again, the brazen altar here that was outside the tabernacle, the bronze altar, the altar burnt offering, shows us what Christ did for us on earth. Whereas now this altar of incense is revealing what Christ is doing for us right now, presently in heaven. Because Hebrews 7:25 tells us that Jesus, who is our great high priest, always lives to make intercession for us. He always lives to make intercession for us. do you know that Jesus sitting at the right hand of God not just twiddling his thumbs he's interceding for you he's praying for you he's bringing you before the father as our great high priest just like the priest who would do in the tabernacle representing the people before God and representing God before the people Jesus is doing that on our behalf interceding for us in heaven and just as Christ is praying for us So too are we to have that ministry of prayer, praying for people. We're a a royal priesthood after all. Is that what 1 Peter 2 tells us? Verses 5 and 9. That means interceding for others as well as praying for your own needs. Simply take advantage of the fact that sacrifice has been made and we can now enjoy fellowship with God through prayer. What a blessing that is now again this golden altar of incense where did it sit? it sat right right outside the holy of holies right at the veil it was the article closest to the ark of the covenant and that mercy seat where we saw that god would meet with them so too when we're people of prayer and you're gonna be experiencing the sweet presence of God in a real and powerful way. Some people go through life questioning why God feels so distant from them. Why does it feel like it's such a a struggle to hear from God? God hasn't gone anywhere, God hasn't moved. God's not playing hard to get. The question is, are we taking time to just spend with Him, to draw near through prayer and spend time with God? Because God's available. And God's inviting us in. Now again, God's very specific with how this is all to be done. Though this was an altar, he shares how how this is not to be an altar where, as verse 9 says, they're not to bring strange incense on it or a burnt offering or a grain offering, no drink offerings to be poured on it. He was very specific about how this altar of incense is to be used. It's not an altar of sacrifice. Look at what David Guzik says. He says prayer is not the place sacrificial atonement is made it's the place sacrificial atonement is enjoyed we don't save ourselves through prayer we pray because of jesus's saving work on the cross that's so true now like i said no burnt offering no drink offering nothing like that and the priests aren't to come with their own concoction of incense hey man made up my own little batch of potpourri here. I thought this is gonna really be a nice new aroma here. The priests aren't to do that. They're to do everything as instructed. Remember what happened to Nadab and Abihu, Leviticus 10. When they came in, it says they offered up profane fire. They were taken out. They were struck down. See, our our prayers are not to be self-serving. We're not to come and seek our will, no. We're to pray that God's will be done. It's not about us in prayer. Sometimes we make prayer about that. Lord, I need this, I need that. Would you do this for me, do that? Instead of just seeking the Lord, I'm praying for his will to be done. Don't bring strange incense. Come in the way that God prescribes us to come and simply seek him and lay our our hearts out before him. And, And in verse 10 again, we read, and Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year, with the blood of the sin offering uh, of atonement. Now again, no sacrifices to be put on the altar, but here we see that the blood of the sin offering was to be placed on this altar once a year, which was on the day of atonement. And it's because of the blood that was shed for us that we can come freely into the presence of God and enjoy fellowship with him. Our, our prayer is not to earn our way or to cleanse our way, Now that cleansing has already been done and we can now come boldly before a holy and just God and now commune with him. Look at what Hebrews 10 verse 19 to 23 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So notice that, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. And that's what the priests were to do, come and sprinkle blood from that sin offering upon the horns of the altar of incense. It's not to just cleanse us or or earn our way it's that cleansing has already been done and we come now through that means now moving on to verse 11 we look at this redemption money that's to be given what's that all about let's look at this verse 11 says then the lord spoke to moses saying when you take the senses of the children of israel for the number then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the lord when you number them that there may be no plague among them when you number them. This is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give. Half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. In case you're wondering what a shekel was, it answers it for us. A shekel is 20 gerahs. so just, you know, that should help you clear it up. Oh, so I wasn't sure exactly what a shekel was, but I'm glad how the word just kind of just says it all for us here. The, the half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord, everyone included among those who are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord. So it says that the people were to pay a half shekel. Now, ha- half-shackle was about one-fifth ounce of silver. And they're to pay this half shekel as ransom money. And as the money was taken, well, that'd be the way that they were able to take the census to then count the money, and thus counting the money, you're counting the people, and you begin to see uh, who you have in your camp. All those that are, are 20 years old, and above now that census was to be a reminder of God's redemption and deliverance of Israel from a place of bondage and slavery in Egypt and how God had delivered them out of Egypt God had ransomed them delivered them you see and this was all now to be for the reminder of what God has done and and for the glory of God it's all to honor and glorify him now what's interesting is david remember in first chronicles chapter 21 david went and he thought i'm gonna take a census i'm gonna number the people david didn't collect this redemption money rather he was just being kind of prideful about their strength and and didn't rely on god's strength he was also claiming the people for himself by not taking the money and saying hey you're god's people I'm collecting the ransom that reveals again what God has done for you, your God's. He didn't collect that. He's kind of claiming the people for himself and he's looking to bolster his numbers and and, and kind of flex his muscles by showing how great his nation was, the army was, how strong they were. Now, because David was doing so in a prideful way and God wasn't getting the glory for it, remember what happened, to plague came and hit them. And 70,000 people died. Just as God says, make sure that you, when you number them that there may be no plague among them when you number them. Do it in this way. Collect the ransom money so there'll be no plague. Well, David experienced that. He disobeyed against God's word and there were serious repercussions for it. You know, there's a lot of things we can do that's done for our own sakes and it kind of feed our own pride at times. We do things so that Maybe we get a a hint of the glory rather than God. Well, that's the work that isn't honored by the Lord because it's not honoring to the Lord. And the Lord's not going to bless it. Not only did David's work not not be fruitful, I mean, people perished as a result. So let us be those that are serving the Lord and honoring the Lord in what we do. When we honor the Lord, that's a work that will be honored. Verse 15 goes on to say that the rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. When you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves and you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. Now notice this here. Everyone is to give an equal amount, whether you're rich or poor. Democrats in the States don't like that verse too much. But whether you're rich or poor, it, there was equality there. The cost of our redemption stays the same. We're all on equal ground at the cross. Nobody needed salvation a little bit more than somebody else. Nobody was just about there on their own. We were all dead in trespasses and sins, and, and as a result, We were all perishing, but God's come and he's saved us by his grace and his mercy. We are all on equal level and equal need of his salvation and redemption. Nobody's just a little bit better off. Nobody can say, well, I didn't sin as much as you did. You need to pay a little bit more. Everybody, rich or poor, paid the same because we were all in the same boat We were dead in trespasses and sins and we were needing his grace and his mercy to make us alive and to save us and he's done just that now it says interestingly to make atonement for yourselves at the end of verse 15. now the catholic church used this to say that you could get people out of purgatory and into heaven by buying a candle and lighting it for your dead friend that you can make atonement for yourselves that's of course not true This verse simply shows us, though, that salvation needs to be purchased. And we can't purchase that. That salvation has been purchased already through Jesus on the cross. He's paid the price for our redemption. Look at what uh, I'll just, 1 Peter 1.18. I need to read this to you guys here. Um, 1 Peter one. 18 says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's what Jesus has done for us. Well, verse 17, we look now at the bronze laver. It says there in verse 17, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, you shall also make a laver of bronze with its base also bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. And you shall put water in it, for Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. When they go into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water lest they die. Verse 21. So they shall wash their hands and their feet lest it die and it shall be a statute forever to them to him and his descendants throughout their generations so this laver now or or basin it sat between the bronze altar of offering that was the first thing you'd see when you came into the courtyard and it says this this bronze laver now sat between that altar and between the tabernacle so between the altar and the tabernacle you had the bronze laver So the priests, when they would come in, they'd offer sacrifices again. We can't come in the presence of the Lord except by a sacrifice. That's Jesus, he he does that. But then it's there to go in and service to the Lord, they're to be cleansed again. And it's a reminder that we need ongoing cleansing as we serve the Lord. See, the priests were cleansed whole at their consecration that we saw in Exodus chapter 29, verses 20 and 21. the slaver now cleansed their hands and their feet, it said, and prepared them for service. I'm glad that there's a laver, guys, because we need to be cleansed when we come before the Lord. The, the issue is sin has already been taken care of at the altar through the sacrifice of Jesus. Sin is atoned for, but we recognize that we pick up some dirt, don't we? As we move about this world, we can tend to pick up some dirt, And we don't live in sinless perfection. As one poet said, to dwell above with the saints in love, oh, that will be glory. But to stay below with saints, I know that is another story. It's very true. See, we need a cleansing daily in our lives from the dirt we pick up. But as 1 John 1, 9, and many of you know this verse, as 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness we've already been made righteous in christ but we understand that and when we falter and fail and we we get dirty our our fellowship with god is hindered and we want to we want to repair that and we do that through confession and then we recognize yeah he forgives and he cleanses us so we can come into the presence of the lord just as the priests are doing question arises how can i continue in cleanliness well it's the word of god that becomes our cleansing agent jesus said in john fifteen three, you are already clean because of the word which i have spoken to you psalm 119 verse 9 says how can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word verse 11 your word i've hidden in my heart that i might not sin against you see bible study is more than just kind of Intellectual growth, trying to sound scholarly by quoting scripture. No, Bible study and just spending time in the Word is coming into contact with the living God through the living Word, receiving His truth as a cleansing agent in our lives. Paul would echo that in Ephesians 5 26 when he says, That He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word. It's through the Word of God that we are cleansed. Now notice that labor had no measurement to it. Every other article of, of furnishing in the tabernacle had distinct measurements to it. The bronze labor, no measurement. Why is that? Because there's just no limitation to the word of God. You can pick it apart day by day and it will continue to speak to you. It will continue to do its work in you. You will never exhaust the word of God. You'll never reach a point where you're like, well, all right, been there, done that. What's next? What else do we got? Somebody bring on the Book of Mormon. Maybe we'll try that. You'll never exhaust the word of God. It'll continue to speak to you. That's why it's the living word because it continues to breathe life into us. It continues to have that effect of of cleansing and strengthening. Interestingly, this labor, as we'll find out in Exodus 38, would be made from the woman bringing bronze mirrors. Maybe a few men bringing their bronze mirrors too, but it says the woman brought their bronze mirrors. And that's what the word of God is like, isn't it? It's kind of what we are looking at on Sunday. It's like looking into a mirror. Looking into the Bible begins to reveal who we are, areas maybe that are, are, are not right with God. And it's like looking in that mirror, we begin to see, oh man, I'm off, but it's also so that we might look into Jesus and behold Him, as we saw on Sunday, Second Corinthians 18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And it's the Spirit of the Lord that's taking the Word of God to begin to transform the people of God well verse 22 we look now at this holy anointing oil and it says in verse 22 moreover the Lord spoke to Moses saying also take for yourself quality spices 500 shekels of liquid myrrh half as much sweet smelling cinnamon 250 shekels 250 shekels of sweet smelling cane 500 shekels of cassia according to the shekel of the sanctuary and a hint of olive oil. And you shall make from these a holy anointing oil, an ointment compounded according to the art of the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. So this anointing oil is emblematic of the Holy Spirit, just as we see throughout Scripture, oil being a picture of the Holy Spirit. Now, in order to minister for the Lord and unto the Lord, we need to recognize we need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit if we're going to be fruitful in ministry if we're going to accomplish anything for the Lord we need to be sure that we're being filled with the Spirit and operating and functioning through the might and the power of the Spirit and not of ourselves verse 26 we read with it you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of the testimony the table and all its utensils the lampstand and its utensils and the altar of incense the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the laver and its base you shall consecrate them and they may that they may be most holy whatever touches them must be holy verse 30 and you shall anoint aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests And you shall speak to the children of Israel saying, this shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. So everything in the tabernacle and all that was to be used for the Lord was to be anointed with this holy anointing oil. And that signified a setting apart of these things. They were all to be holy. Everything was to be holy. Nothing was to touch these things that weren't holy. And that idea of being holy simply means to be set apart. They're to be set apart for the Lord. It's not that they had to be prayed for, you know, uh, laid hands on, that there had to be some kind of surge of energy that hit them, that make them holy. They were just simply set apart unto the Lord. And just as these, each of these items that we've read here all picture Jesus in a beautiful way, so too the Holy Spirit's role in the world today is to make Jesus known and to draw people to him and so each of these things that are a great picture Jesus had that anointing oil over it see the spirit's purpose is simply to exalt Jesus and magnify him and that's why we need the Holy Spirit active in our lives so that we can magnify Jesus that's what we're to be all about is glorifying, magnifying Jesus, making him known in this world. And without the Holy Spirit, what the world is going to see is you. They're going to see the flaws and shortcomings. It's a spirit that empowers us to live Christ like and to exalt Jesus in and through our lives. And notice this is a, a holy anointing oil. Again, an anointing is not some magical or mystical thing, it's just the filling of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. It's that work of the spirit that leads us into the truth that strengthens us so that we might make Jesus known. And when we're abiding in the Lord, we're, we're simply walking in the anointing. There's not a a special thing. It's not a a magical thing that we need to drum up and be like, Oh boy, the anointing is really operating now. It's just abiding in the Lord. First John two 20 says, but you have an anointing from the Holy one. And you know all things. 1 John 2.24 says, therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. So we see that as believers, we have that anointing. It's through the Holy Spirit filling us and empowering us. Now, verse 32, back in Exodus 30, verse 32 says, it shall not be poured on man's flesh nor shall you make any other like it according to its composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it or whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. See, recognize the oil was not to be poured on flesh. Unfortunately, there have been cases today where people kind of use the Holy Spirit as a license to act oddly, perhaps act in the flesh, to kind of exhibit some kind of excess that doesn't glorify Jesus at all. There should be no moving of the flesh when the Holy Spirit is present. See, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not to create excess of emotion. It's to reveal Christ. Look at the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, and you'll see Jesus. That's what should be exhibited by a life that's filled with the spirit. This is not about the flesh. It's not to be poured out on the flesh. It's to be poured out on and in the believer. Again, to magnify Jesus. Verse 34, we talked about the altar of incense. Now it begins to describe the actual incense that's to be used. Look at what we read in verse 34. And the Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices stacked and onica and galbanum and pure frankincense with these sweet spices there shall be equal amounts of each you shall make of these an incense a compound according to the art of the perfumer salted pure and holy and you shall beat some of it very fine and put some of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting where i will meet with you it shall be most holy to you Now, we see these four ingredients of the incense that were to be used. You see them there in verse 34. Now, what's interesting is um, most of these ingredients came from outside Israel. They were foreign ingredients to Israel. They didn't come from like their own resources there in their land. And in the same way, we can't expect to be a sweet fragrance to God by our own means or by our own resources. It's not found within us, but it comes to us from a faraway place, comes from heaven, and through the Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians two, verse 14 to 15 says, now thanks be to God, again, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place, for we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Without the Holy Spirit, oh, we might give off an aroma, it's not a pleasant one. It's a very fleshly one. But with the Holy Spirit, there's that aroma of Christ. It's not found within us. It comes to us from a foreign place. That's why we need to be seeking the Lord and abiding in him. Verse 37, but as for the incense which ye shall make, you shall not make any for yourselves. According to its composition, it shall be to you holy for the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to smell it, he shall be cut off from his people. So very strict kind of parameters being set here like you know again with the incense um, all these things that it's you're going to be you know or sorry the anointing oil anybody that makes any of it for themselves puts any of it on an outsider they're going to be cut off same thing here with the incense makes any of it for themselves shall be cut off from his people see it wasn't to be a personal pleasure of the people Just as prayer is not to be a formula to bring our own pleasures or pursuits or wants in our lives. That's what the incense, remember, is a picture of is prayers of the saints. It's it's that life of prayer being offered up before the Lord. It's not to be done for our own gratification. Prayer is to bring about God's will, not our will. Oh yes, there's pleasure when we sit and commune with the Lord, Absolutely, but we don't come to the Lord out of a personal, selfish pursuit. It's simply to be with the Lord. So we pray, and we do so in the way that he's prescribed it, to come and seek him. Prayer is not to be used for our vain desires and comforts. Prayer is not to plead with God to align to our will, prayer is so that we can just know the Lord more and come in alignment with his will. And when we do, there's gonna be a sweet fragrance from our lives as we learn to yield to God and wait upon him in prayer. Chapter 31 is a short one. Look at what we read there, chapter 31, verse one. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, see, I've called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And I fill them with the spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold, in silver, in bronze, in cutting jewels, for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. And I, indeed I, have appointed with him a holy Ab, the son of Ahissamark, of the tribe of Dan, and I put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans, that they may make all that I have commanded you. The tabernacle meeting the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is on it and all the furniture of the tabernacle the table its utensils the pure gold lampstand with all its utensils the altar of incense the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the laver and its base the garments of ministry the holy garments for aaron the priest and the garments of his sons to minister as priests and the anointing oil and sweet incense for the holy place according To all that I've commanded you, they shall do. So, two guys we see here are singled out as being key craftsmen to carry out the work of the Lord and to design all the things that we've seen from chapters 25 all the way to chapter uh, 30 now. Those two men, Bezalel and Aholiab. Interestingly, the National Art Academy in modern Israel is named after Bezalel. So Bezalel is also the first person in the Bible that's said to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what we read right there in verse um, verse three. And I filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. So here's the first man that we see that's now filled with the Spirit of God. He had special wisdom. He had understanding. He had giftedness in workmanship and all that was simply to carry out the plans and, the, and to design the articles that were instructed to be built for the tabernacle. And notice, there's not to be any kind of artistic license for Bezalel. Bezalel's not given a bit of a, an idea and just like, you know, here's kind of just a rough draft. Just go with it, Bezalel Just see what he can produce from this. He was to do it all exactly as was given. Notice verse 11 according to all that i've commanded you they shall do so god's been very exact with what they were to do and here's what they were now to carry out now what's cool is that we often think of the spirit filling people for sensational things great things right mighty deeds that need to be performed, things that people are going to carry out in such great ministry, where, where lives are just going to be so impacted and changed. And no doubt the Holy Spirit does that. But here' it's just very ordinary things. These were just artists. You know? You guys know. Artists. It's kind of like pss,
1: get a real job,
0: right? I forgive me for those artists in the room that I've just offended, but we love you. And I'm teasing, but we kind of look at certain things as being like, oh come on, like, you know, what 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 good is this gonna do? You, no, you need to really devote yourself to the Lord and do something meaningful. No, no. God uses all people. And there's no ministry or service that's just kind of like minute or unnecessary. God chooses these, these artists because he goes, these are the people that I've gifted for a very specific purpose that's going to be a blessing for generations to come and seeing this tabernacle come together we don't need to expect grandiose things to be done we just want the work of the lord to prevail through the power of the spirit whether grand or small and that's what's being seen here in the beginning of chapter 31 Meredith says in his commentary may god help us in this age of celebrity christianity not to lose sight of this biblical vision of the spirit's work the spirit of god enables us to do the work of god and the spirit's work through us may not be considered sensational work but it is important work amen to that verse 12 god now reminds the people of something very important before they get busy with the work look at what he says in verse 12 and the lord spoke to moses saying speak also to the children of israel saying surely my sabbaths you shall keep for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that i'm the lord who sanctifies you you shall keep the sabbath therefore for it is holy to you everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death for whoever does any work on it that person, person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Verse 16, Therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, to observe the Sabbath throughout the generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed." So isn't it interesting that the Sabbath is being reviewed right now? They've already given the instructions for the Sabbath, but now as God's laid out all the things that are to be done in the tabernacle, the work that's to go into it, he says, you also need to remember how you need to take rest. Because there's a tendency when there's a task in front of us to get busy and stay busy And just get the job done but god reveals again that his heart is for the people to take rest that's what the sabbath is all about it's a provision of rest amongst the work god's built us that way god's built us to be workers but if it's work 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 without any rest man we are going to fall apart and all this is modeled for us by god and it and, and this passage here that we're seeing with the tabernacle and everything that's to be done is all kind of resembling that whole creation account. God worked for 6 days, rested on the 7th. And we see in this account from Exodus 25 to 31 the Lord say seven times or it says the Lord spoke or the Lord said seven times. Notice this here structurally The creation account consists of seven acts each marked by divine speech and god said and here now from exodus 25 to 31 structure the tabernacle account consists of seven acts each introduced by divine speech six times is to speak of a job to be done here in exodus but the seventh is here now where the lord speaks to do what not to work but to rest and it's such a serious thing that a person that profaneness would be put to death, it says in verse 14. God desires that we take time to rest. Oh, there's much work to be done. But he's designed us to be those that take time to recuperate and to rest. Now notice something. It says here in our account that this was to be a sign between God and the children of Israel. I want you to catch something. We're, We're not obligated to keep the Sabbath because Jesus has become that Sabbath rest for us. Of all the Ten Commandments, none of them are repeated in the New Testament. The only one that's not repeated is to observe the Sabbath. That's the only one not repeated in the New Testament. And Paul makes it clear in Colossians, not not that anyone look down upon you because of Sabbaths. Jesus has become our rest. But you'd be a fool to think that you can just work and work and work and not pay a price for it. God has modeled the principle of six and one. Work six, rest one. And this goes beyond the giving of the law. It goes all the way back to creation. It's outside of the law. So though we're not bound to keep the Sabbath, you're bound to break if you don't observe a time to rest and to find that rest in the Lord. Notice when God rested on the seventh day, it says here in Exodus chapter uh, 31, verse 17, that when God took time to rest, he rested and was what? Refreshed. Don't you like being refreshed? Anybody? Just me? Okay. How many people like to be refreshed? Isn't being refreshed a good thing? It's a necessary thing, my friends. Though we're not obligated to Observe a Sabbath in the way that is prescribed for us in scripture. God's designed us to be people that take time to rest, to take time to be rejuvenated. The Sabbath is for rest and remembrance of all that God has done. Whatever day that might be, take time to rest. There are people that say, oh, I gotta observe the Sabbath. Well we don't observe the Sabbath, we need to observe a Sabbath, taking a time to rest whenever that might be for you. It's not a specific day, may not be a specific time, but take time to rest. Take time to remember God's goodness in your life, to just take time to focus in on him and rejoice in him. Rest and remember all that God has done. That's what's being commanded for the people here. And that's wise counsel for us as well. Lastly, verse 18 And when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. So remember, Moses has been up on the mountain, the people have been down below. God's given all the instructions to Moses, and now he writes, you know, the main commandments, 10 commandments down on the tablets of stone. They were to be something that was was lasting for the people, his law. Next week we're gonna see how well the people will do in managing to obey these things, or in a couple of weeks I should say. Oh, we'll get into some fun stuff there.